0: series. Uh, we kind of took a, a, a short break last Sunday for Mother's Day, and Mother's Day was just fantastic. I hope you had a wonderful time with your mom, or at least you got to call or Skype or send her a card, roses, whatever you did. I hope it was wonderful. I just loved that format last, last week. How many of you you appreciated that last week? Was that good? Man, I'm telling you what, that woman can preach, can't she? She's just She was on fire. Man, as soon as we got home, she was like, the message ain't done. And I just sat there, and she kept <laughs> pouring it on. I was like, okay, I'll take it. Yes, ma'am. You know, and uh, no. We had a great time. Thank you so much for being so receptive. Many of you were just so kind in your words of encouragement. My wife said to me last night about midnight. She was like, you know what? I feel so good right now. I was like, really? Why do you Why do you feel so good? It's midnight. I feel really tired. And she was like, because I don't have to speak tomorrow. And she was like, what you go through every week. She's like, this is how you feel every Saturday? Every Saturday. And then, and then Monday, you kind of get that preacher hangover where you're just kind of like, oh, did that go well? Was that awful? You know, it's just kind of preacher's hangover, all right? So, uh, you know, just we did go through it every week, just kind of the cycle. But God is good, and I'm glad that you are here. We are continuing our series entitled climate change, we're going through the book of Philippians, just kind of tackling verse by verse, studying these truths, applying it to our lives, allowing God to teach us how we cannot be slave captive to our feelings because too often we don't fight our feelings. We just give in. Have you ever said to yourself, I just don't know what I was thinking. That was a bonehead move. That was just stupid. Anybody ever said that to yourself? What was I thinking? The problem was you weren't thinking you were feeling. That's why you did what you did. Ooh, that was good. Right out from the get-go, I've got them. They're, they're going to be coming quick and fast this morning. So you've got to wake up, and I can tell we're not woken up fully yet, so we're going to help with that. So what you've got to do is you've got to stand up, and you've got to find three people and give them a high five, okay? I know handshake's traditional, but we're doing high fives. Stand up, find three people, and say good morning to them. Say, you are in a great place. Got to high five three people because I, I, I need a good crowd to preach to this morning. Good to see you. Once you found those three people, and once you kind of got the blood circulating a little bit, find a seat. We are going to be jumping right in out of this book. The book of Philippians is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi was a church he just kind of fell in love with. God knit that church and Paul's heart together. And so Paul had a bond. He had a connection with that church. And by the time of the writing of the book of Philippians, Paul has been gone from the church at Philippi for 10 years. The church at Philippi is a strategic church or where it's strategically located. It's kind of at the doorway to what is considered modern Europe. And it's at this place King Philip, the father of Alexander the Great, won a great battle there. That's why it's named Philippi after King Philip, Alexander the Great's father. Other strategic battles were fought there. One battle was between Brutus and Cassius. Another was fought between Mark Anthony and Augustus. It's at this city where we see the fall of the Roman Republic and the Senate, and we see the rise of the Caesars, the rise of the Roman Empire. It happened at this city. So this is a strategic city that at world history at that time had kind of centered on this city. And this is the city that God says, Paul, I need you to encourage. I need you to write to them because this is a Roman city. I need you to write to this early church that they'd be the right kind of witness, they'd be the right kind of people. So he's going to encourage these people, and that's why we're going through this book, and we're just studying it. And uh, But I've got a disclaimer this morning. You say, uh-oh, never good when a preacher has a disclaimer. Yeah, um, I don't like this message. You say, you don't like this message. You wrote it, man. What's your problem? No, I don't like it. I really don't, and I don't think you're going to like it. I really don't. It may be one of those where you say, I don't know about this church anymore. It may be one where you're just kind of like, oh, man, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And it's because of the verses we're going to read. I saw these verses, and I was like, you got the wrong guy, Lord, to preach this message. I am not the person to preach this. But we're going to dive right into this because I believe that there is a powerful truth in this passage that has the power to radically transform your life. The problem is when we hear things like, hey, this truth has the power to radically transform our life, we're so used to hearing that, we don't believe it anymore. Come on, we've watched the 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 as seen on tv you take this pill it'll radically change your waistline i promise you you take five of these a day and it's going to shave inches off of your waist or, or or people tell you if you'll go to this seminar it'll just change your life and so we've heard it so when we hear a preacher open up the word of god the inerrant word of god open that up and try to present that to us we're just kind of like we're skeptical and i don't blame you we just kind of come out a little cautious but what we're going to talk about has the power to transform our families. Because there is a problem behind every issue that's going on in our families. Because how many of you, you've worked your tail off at your job, at your home, and nobody noticed? You ever been there? Nobody noticed. You cleaned that kitchen so well. You cleaned the house so well. And the spouse came home and nothing. Not a word. You did that extra project, you stayed late for that boss, you worked hard, you put in extra hours, you worked on your own time, you weren't getting paid for it. And in the meeting where the presentation went absolutely wonderful, the boss didn't even mention your name. You've been there. Teenagers, they work so hard, they get good grades, and they bring home that report card they show you, you don't say anything. Nothing, not a word. You say, what are we talking about? The word that we could talk about this morning that has the power to transform is one little word, and it's this word gratitude. You say, well, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is the wrong time of year. You've got to wait till like, Thanksgiving. That's when, we, that's when we preachers talk about gratitude. I know, but we're just following this text, and as I began to look at it, I saw this. Please write this down. Attitude determines altitude, but attitude also determines atmosphere. Your attitude changes the atmosphere of a situation. Come on, if if you walked in here and our greeters just looked at you like, what are you doing at this church? You would have been like, I'll go right back down, I will get me a movie ticket, and I will watch Avengers for the fourth time, you know, I don't have to put up with this. If if you walked in this room and somebody just looked at you and just kind of gave you a blank stare like they work at McDonald's, like, what do you want? Like, I mean, you would have been like, ah, no, I don't, (laughs) no, there are other things I could be doing on this fine Sunday morning. Like... Me and my pillow having some more quality time. You know, I, I just didn't get enough. Attitude affects atmosphere. But what happens is what, what really hinders our attitude is constant, what we're going to see in this passage. And when Paul said it, it just hit me. Let's go back to Philippians chapter number 2. And if you have your Bibles, or if you don't, the words will be up on the screen. And can we add a respect for the word of God? Can we please stand it won't be long. It's just a few short verses. And if you don't have your Bibles, all right, inside of your uh, worship guides, there is a copy of the scriptures that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to begin in chapter 2, verse number 13. The Bible says this, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Love that verse. Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless, harmless the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. Can we go one more time and look at verse number 14? It says, do a few things without murmuring and complaining. That's what I don't like. I don't like it. Seriously, I'm not lying. I don't like that that's in the Bible. Because I like to complain. And if I had to guess, a lot of us in this room like to complain. We complain. I've been at Starbucks, somebody complained at the temperature of their coffee. They said it's not 192 degrees. I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Who can tell if it's 192 degrees? That person, apparently. We can complain, 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 and we don't understand that complaining affects the attitude, which the attitude affects the atmosphere. And we have so many of us that struggle with complaining. As you sit down, would you touch the person next to you and say, we don't gain when we complain. We don't gain when we complain. Touch somebody next to you and say, we don't gain when we complain. You say, I don't like talking to people. Well, you came to the wrong church. We like to talk, okay? And I hope you'll talk back at me. I like a good amen. I like to know that you're with me. And and when you say amen, it just means you're in agreement. We're not uh, a silent church. where We just kind of, you know, no, no, no. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to uh, whatever, you know. I mean, if you start running laps to get that extra cardio in, right. Right, whatever, you know, just, and just stay with the message, okay? But we don't gain when we complain because too often what I see in Christianity is those that have the most to be thankful for are thankful the least. You ever heard this term? That's a first world problem. You ever heard that? We, I hear it all the time now. Oh, my iPhone 6 plus 64 gig just isn't working quite right. First world problems. Oh, man, I'm not getting all the reception that I want. They ran out of my favorite drink at Starbucks. Like, that's going to happen. Oh, man, my third car just doesn't fit in my garage. My garage isn't big enough. i got to tear down my garage and build bigger garages. And then i got to build more garages. And and then because my cars just don't fit in. Oh, man, my bank account. I can't believe that they are charging me so much interest on this. I can't believe my second house, the, the, the taxes went up on it. First world problems. You see, we live in a day and age where it's so easy to complain. It's so easy just to be negative. It's so easy even for us as believers that have so much to be thankful for to just kind of say something negative, to just be negative. In a situation at home, instead of looking at a, at a situation being grateful for it, instead of being thankful that I could be in a much worse situation, we find something in that situation to complain about. Instead of understanding that we don't have to complain, that we can be grateful and thankful. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing this, the, the, the essence, what he's trying to communicate is really this, 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 this gospel-centered optimism. There's this optimism about Paul that he's talking about. He's saying, hey, don't complain and don't argue. Those are the two words. Don't complain and don't argue. We don't have time to deal with the arguing. And, and there's a lot of things in Scripture that I see, I don't understand, and I just let those go. But when I come to a verse 14 that says, do all things without complaining and arguing, I'm thinking, Paul, did you really have to put that one in there? I think that may have been a typo. Like, do everything without arguing and complaining? That's exactly what Paul's saying. But, Lord, I don't know if I can say married and not argue. I, I just don't know if that's possible. I don't know if it's possible to be in life and not complain. But this is what Paul's saying. But I love how he says that, but then he backs it up with verse 13. Did you see it? It says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Because some of you, you're sitting here and saying, it's just not possible. Everybody knows me that I'm the complainer. and They just know me. And I call it constructive criticism. You're a complainer. You just complain constantly. That's all you do. You complain about everything, no matter what. It's, you go golfing, and you have a bad game. The weather was too nice. That's just why my golf game was off. The weather's just too perfect. I need it slightly windy, and then I counteract the wind, and then my ball lands in the middle of the fairway. That's why, you know, you know, uh, my secretary just, just didn't have my coffee hot enough. We just find something to complain about. And because you don't understand what I want you to write down, that there is power in partnership. There's power in partnership. Understand that God's saying, hey, yes, here's what I want you to do but you're not doing it alone. You're not doing it alone. You don't go at this thing by yourself. He precedes the command by giving you the capability. Isn't that good? You see, God will never ask you to do something that you're not capable of doing. He'll never push you further. If God does test your faith and push you out where you're saying, I don't know if I can do it, it's because God does know you can do it. And so God is saying, I'm giving you a command, but I'm going to help you with the capability. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to help you because you can do this. And that is exciting that Apostle Paul is writing to a church, and we're reading it 2,000 years later, where God is instructing, encouraging us to live life without complaining because we don't gain when we complain. There's nothing to be gained. Teenager, there's nothing to be gained by complaining to the teacher. There's nothing to be gained by the parent. And parents, if you cave to a complaining teenager, stop. Just stop. You're not helping them. You're teaching them that they can complain for the rest of your life. That's why some of you grown adults, you complain. Because you had a parent that lets you complain about every cotton-picking thing. And so now you just go through life, and you're just negative, you complain, and you just think the whole world owes you. They don't. They don't. Lord, I knew they weren't going to like this message. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Praise the Lord. So there is power in partnership. But I want you to see, divine synergy brings divine energy. You say, what do you mean synergy? It's a word. Some of the business leaders, we talk about it, and you'll be in a m- room, and they'll say, we need to get our team synergy going. What does synergy means? It means together we accomplish more. It means that one person can do a lot, but a group can do a lot more. Many hands make light work. This whole theater and all the multiple theaters get set up in about an hour and a half because about 10 to 12 volunteers, they show up. If my wife and I did it by ourselves, it would take us all day. But without 10, 12 volunteers, it takes us about an hour and a half. We get it all set up. They make it happen. They do it. Many hands make light work. God is saying, hey, partner with me, the divine synergy. Matter of fact, he even told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 32, he said, hey, one shall chase a 1,000. And then he said, but a two will put 10,000 to flight because I am the Lord. Isn't that amazing that God said because of who I am and because you're my chosen people, one shall put a thousand to flight and ten shall put or two shall put ten thousand to flight because you've tapped in to divine synergy and that brings divine energy. So if you're sitting here saying, there's no way I can stop complaining. There's no way I can stop being negative. There's no way I can stop complaining about my spouse or stop complaining about my kids or stop complaining about my job or stop complaining about the weather or stop complaining about my mortgage or stop complaining about my car that breaks down or stop complaining about the politics or stop complaining that our church meets in a the theater or stop complaining about this preacher talking too fast and I just stop complaining. What is it? It is possible because of divine synergy. And some of you need to realize that God is saying, hey, I'm the creator, the sustainer of the universe. You tap into me and we can go places, baby. We'll do things. But the moment where we just say, no, 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 I'm just going to stay here, then we miss out on seeing God do the miraculous through some ordinary situations. The Apostle Paul is trying to get this church to understand that great things can happen. Once a preacher from a very poor country came over to the states, and he was visiting many of the large churches in our country. And one of the well-known preachers got up to ask this very humble preacher, a question. He, he, he asked him, he said, what do you think of our churches? And the man said, your bu- buildings are beautiful. They're large. He said, look at all the crowds. Look at all the talent. Look at the organization. Look at the media. Look at the production. He said, the American church, I'm blown away. He said, I'm blown away because you do so much without the power of God. He said, you guys do so much without the power of God. What an indictment on the Church of America. Because we know how to get slick. We know how to just do the walk. We know how to just marketing. We know how to just kind of get it, say this, do this. And we just kind of make this thing happen instead of tapping into the divine. God said it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit say the Lord God says I want to do the work and so some of you you're sitting back and you're getting discouraged because you're looking at your Christian life and you're just getting frustrated at it when God said that's not the way God said the way is that power working inside of you we got a little pool for our kids and uh, I want to teach them how to swim and so my goal is to just kind of get them in the pool, I'll, I'll get in and I kind of hold them and I'll just say, hey, I'm going to hold you while well, you just kick your legs. You just paddle your legs. We're just going to start you just moving your legs. I don't expect to just throw them in and they just swim. That, maybe that's how your parents taught you. I'm not an abusive parent. I don't want to pay for therapy, all right? So I'm like, we'll do this nice and easy. Put them in, kick your legs, and we'll start working the hands and then we'll just let go and let them swim around and that type of thing. Because I, I, I'm going to do this with them. They don't know that I'm the one holding them up as they're in that water. They just got to kick their legs. I'm doing the work you see God is saying hey you just do your part I'm doing all the rest and God's got the big part because it's divine synergy that brings that divine energy that where God says hey this is possible because God is working in you this thing work it's this constant working it doesn't mean God takes a break that God stops or God forgot he is constantly at work cultivating you and that's a wonderful blessing to know that God is working on your spouse you don't have to keep complaining about them that God is working on your boss you don't have to keep getting irritated with them that God is working in your situation you don't have to keep getting discouraged about it because God is working and sometimes we get into this point where we just think well God's not working so I'm going to start complaining but we never gain when we complain so we need it right now say Lord help me with my thinking help me to change this you say this divine energy how does it happen it, we need to understand that there's this partnership between the Lord and our life and we tap into that but then notice we would verse number 14 he says, do all things without murmuring and disputing, meaning do all things without arguing and complaining. You say, what is the cure for that? How do, how do we deal with that, though? And I, I, it's not like a, just a switch. I just turn off in my life, and I, and I, and I stop complaining, preacher. How, how do you do it? I, got, and I have a question for you. And the question is, do you have a, pa- a plan to praise? You know you're tempted to complain, so do you have a plan to praise? Because you know... Life is not going to happen as we want it to. There was a beautiful wedding yesterday, and I'm going to refer to it probably a couple times throughout the message. And yesterday I said to them, I said, hey, you're entering into a world that does not function as it should. Your marriage is not going to work like it should. See, God created a perfect garden. God created two perfect people, and he put them there, and they messed it all up. And so the world, because of sin, has fallen. And you now are two imperfect people coming together and going to try to live perfectly in an imperfect world. And it's going to be frustrating. It's going to be difficult. And so what are you doing? Because you know the bad things are going to happen. You know things that you didn't anticipate are going to happen. So do you have a plan to praise Do you, when you know negative things are going to happen, say, hey, I'm preloaded with a praise. I come preloaded. I'm pre-packaged. I'm ready. Just like those toys. I never buy a toy that doesn't say batteries not included. No, no, no. I want the one with the batteries included. I don't want to have to go buying batteries. I want it included. I want everything I need inside the package. I don't want no Ikea stuff where I forgot all the other parts that I got to get in the other little boxes. No, no. I want it all together. I want it all in one package. And so you and I, we need to say, I'm going to come pre-packaged. I'm going to come preloaded with a praise. I'm ready. No matter what the situation is, I've got a praise in my pocket that's ready to go. You say, well, well, I just don't feel like that. I just just don't know if I can do that. I want you to turn your thinking to this. I want you to think that there is a treasure in every trial. There is a treasure in every trial, no matter what you're going through. The writer of Philippians, he said this, not that I speak in respect of want, For I have learned, he said, I had to learn this. You and I have to learn this in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. You see, some of you, your life's theme song is from that 70s Motown song, Freak Out. That's your theme song. And you just like, uh, freak out. You know, you just start even doing a little dance too. You're like, it's time for me to freak out. You know, and I mean, that's your natural reaction to a situation. Instead of a praise, it's freak out. I don't know what's happening. Let's just freak out. And instead of trusting the Lord that he's gonna work in this, your reaction is just freak out. Just get upset to be annoyed at the situation. But I want you to understand the powerful principle. And it's at those moments where you may be thinking, I'm not in control. And for some of you, you don't like that feeling. You're a type A, you've got everything under control, you know everything, how it should work. You're the type when you go to Disneyland, you pull out the itinerary which ride you're hitting first, which drinking fountains, which restrooms are closest, which uh, snacks we will eat. You, you are that person. And so when you're out of control, You don't like it and it's very easy for you to get uptight anxiety, you know And uh, blood pressure starts to go up veins start popping out. Why because you're not in control And can I tell you a little secret? You're never really in control Controls the illusion God's in control But we want to feel like we're in control But here's the secret even though i'm not in control. I don't have to be out of control You ever met those people you just look at them. You're out of control, dude you do not need to yell like that. You don't need to scream like that. Hey, you can just put the chair down. You know, this is not WWF. We're not going to have a rumble in the jungle. No, we don't need to do this. This is, you're out of control. You know that coworker. You know that person. Don't you dare look at your spouse. Don't you dare look at them. This is not the time to look at them. This is even the time where I don't even look at people. I just look at, I just pick a chair. I'll preach to this chair. You're out of control, you know, because you don't want to make eye contact when you say that. Because I know some people that are out of control. And instead of understanding that when I'm not in control, I don't have to be out of control because that's your natural inclination. It's that I'm not in control, so I'm going to go out of control. I'm going to go ballistic on people. And this is why I don't like this message, because truth be told, that's me. And when I read this passage, I was thinking, God, this is I can't preach this. Lord, you got the wrong person. But then the Lord was thinking, who better to preach it? Somebody who's already learned this lesson or somebody who's still working on it? Somebody who can relate or somebody who can't. Somebody that God just gave them that kind of, uh, you know, uh, passive attitude or somebody who, who, yeah, they struggle with this. So, so we're in this together. This is not easy for anybody to say stop complaining and just, just, just give God a praise when the sky is falling and when you get the report that you got cancer. Just give God a praise right there. Just start shouting in the hospital and let that doctor just think you're crazy. That's not natural for me either, Christian. So I don't want you just to think that this is just easy. I'll go make a hospital visit, and for me, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to comfort them. I don't know how to tell them, hey, you just need to, let's just sing a praise song. I've got the joy, joy, joy. No. That's not easy for me. But in that moment, you may be thinking, I'm out of control. But can I remind you, if I'm not in control, that means God is in control. You see, you and God can't drive the car at the same time. You can't. Some of you are trying to, and that's why you're frustrated. You're saying, God, I'm trying to control this thing. And God's saying, well, I want to control this thing. And until you say, God, it's all you, you're going to be frustrated at this because you're fighting against God. Try it sometime. Try to drive a car with somebody else. You say, I do. They're in the back seat. It's called a backseat driver. I just try to shut them up, you know. No, no, I mean try to share the seat and try to drive it at the same time. I'll, I'll, I'll put Austin on my lap, and sometimes we'll back up the car, we'll pull it in, and he likes sitting there and doing that. He thinks he's driving, but don't you dare think for one second I let him ever have complete control of that vehicle at two years old. No way. I'm the two-year-old, and God is the adult. And no matter how old I get, I'll always be that two-year-old. And I know that's humbling, Christian, for us to think that we're the two-year-old sitting on God's lap, and that's what God wants. He wants us to say, just, just let me control this. So you and I look for the treasure in the trial. So that you and I look for what God wants to bring out of this. And can I say, the secret to going to the next level in your Christianity is to be thankful at every level of your Christianity. You're saying, I'm stuck here, and I just never can get past this, and I don't know what's wrong right now, and it's because you're not grateful. You're not thankful. You're just complaining in the moment, and God says, you're not ready to go to the next level because you haven't learned to be grateful at this level, at this stage. I'm telling you what I was thankful before I had a car, and I'm thankful now that I have a car. I've been thankful at times when I was flat broke, and I've been thankful at times I've had money. It doesn't matter. I've learned to be grateful and to be thankful because some of you, you remember that first apartment that you've had. You remember where you started. Some of your kids, they don't understand what it was like When you grow up, they don't understand that some of you is a horse and buggy. Okay, maybe that was kind of harsh, but I mean, some of you don't understand that it was rough to have a car. It was like, no, we didn't have a car going to school. I didn't have one in high school. I didn't have one in college. No, I had to pay my way through school. I had to work a part-time job. There were things that I had to do that taught me this gratitude. It didn't just come naturally. So there's some things that you've had to develop, but you found the treasure in the trial, and you've seen that gratitude just help you. And as you went to each level, you were just grateful. Each level, you were just thankful. Each time you climb, each time God bless you. Each time God poured on the blessing, each time God gave you something, you just gave God a praise. You just gave him a praise. You kept praising God. In spite of whatever else was going on, you were just praising God because you knew that in the middle of this trial, there will be a treasure here. But I want you to see not only that, but I want you to also write this down. God can draw a straight line with crooked sticks. You said, what do you mean? And we got to go back for this because the Apostle Paul was going to the church at Philippi. But in Acts 16 is where we find this whole passage. And in Acts 16, verse number 6, I want you to see Paul's real heart, where he really wanted to go. Because Paul was just like you and me. He didn't always want to go where God sent him. He didn't always want to go. If God sent you to Hawaii, some of you would be like, yes, God, I will go. I will go. I feel the call. Somebody else, God says, I want you to go to some South American country. Like, uh, eh, I don't know. I don't know. But in verse number 6 of chapter 16, here's what Paul's original desire. He says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Paul's desire was not to go to the church at Philippi, was not to go to the city. His desire was to go into the... Asia and preach the gospel there, to take the gospel to Asia. He wasn't able to. Notice in verse number six and verse 13, the Bible says that he goes instead to Philippi because he gets the Macedonian call and he goes over and he comes to the city Philippi. And here's what Paul does in verse 13 of that same passage. He says, On the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where Prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira. You know, sometimes we look at these these names from a- a- ancient times, and they just kind of no Thyatira. What's a big deal? You know what? This is what I love about the Bible. Even the maps sometimes preach. And this week, the maps in my Bible started to preach. You say, "What do you mean?" Oh, I started checking out what Thyatira is. It's in Asia. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. I got to try this over. I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying. Here we go. All right, one more time. He wanted to go to Asia. God said no. God sent him to Philippi. And the the people he wanted to reach were the Asian people. There was an Asian person in the city where he went to minister. God can draw a straight line with crooked sticks. Wherever your situation, God, this is what I want. And God says, I know what you want, but what you want is over here. It's not there. I'm gonna direct your steps. I'm gonna lead you over here. And so the person that he was supposed to minister to, who he wanted to go to Asia, God said, that person, I've got them over here. And some of you are sitting back and saying, God, I want this job. And God says, no, I got it over here. You're saying, I want to marry that person. God said, I got them over here. You're saying, God, I need this promotion. God says, I got it over here. God said, you're saying, Lord, I want to live in this house. I said, I got it over here. I go out got what you need, but it's over here because I can draw a straight line with crooked sticks. I can take what seems like a messed up situation and I can fix this situation for you. So if you've been through some things where you feel like, Lord, this is not the direct route. This is not the path that I had chosen. This is not the area of my expertise. But God can say, I am working. I am doing something in this situation. There's a story. I just finished a book. It was about the TED conference and uh, technology education design is their conference they hosted in Long Beach. And there was this lady, her name is Amy Mullins. At one year old, she had a, 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 a bone disease disorder where at one year old, they had to take her legs just above the knees. They, they, they took off her legs because she didn't have the right bone structure. And then they gave her a card and they said, you were now handicapped for the rest of your life. That never sat well with Amy Mullins, even from a young age, you know, and she just never liked the fact that for the rest of her life she has a label. And she said, "I, I just couldn't accept the label. I couldn't. I couldn't go with that. I couldn't. I couldn't accept. I couldn't give into that." And so Amy Mullins said, "I'm going. I'm going to change." the label that they've given me. So Amy Mullins began to run track and she began to uh, model. She began to have an acting career and she began to just develop. She said, I "I refuse to be the label they placed on me. And she's spoken at TED Talk to millions of people have seen her TED Talks. It's one of the more famous TED Talks. And you say, what is the name of it? The name of her TED Talk is The Opportunity of Adversity. Here's a person Their whole life, people labeled them handicapped. You can't do everything you want. And she said, Matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. She says, I'm five foot five, but today I'm six foot one. So how did she do that? She had custom legs made that made her six foot one. How would you like to be six foot one if you wanted to be six foot one? She said, I'm going to flip the script where everybody else says I'm handicapped. I'm not. She said, I'm going to flip this script. I'm going to be what other people can't be because they're limited. And she said, I look on you guys with more pity than you're looking on me because, look, I can change my height. I can change my style. She says, I don't need to go tanning. My legs, I just spray them on. They're tan. There we go. You know, instant tan, whatever. She said, there is opportunity in adversity because God can draw a strong." line even with your crooked stick so if you're looking at your life and saying God this doesn't make sense and I'm just going to sit here and complain God says don't do that you're not going to gain when you complain so don't do that God says I'm working out a plan I'm going to take this crooked stick and I'm going to draw a straight line with it and that just shows the beauty and majesty and power of our God and we just have to stop and give him praise right now put your hands together we just got to <laughs> praise God for that that God can take your situation and God says I can do something great in this situation that should give us hope that should give us life that should encourage us To realize that God has something great for us. You see, the message that you need this morning is that God is going to take that situation. But then also notice this. Anyone can rejoice over results. Learn to rejoice over the ruins. Have you ever thought about this? That your complaints are contagious? They are. I think sometimes we don't underestimate the power of our complaints. I think we underestimate the power that we have as we start complaining, how that affects the spouse, how that affects the children, and how it's just a negative spiral, that everybody just kind of suffers, because attitude affects atmosphere, and for some of you, this this thing of you not stopping and catching the complaining, it's contagious, you're wondering why your team at work is suffering, it's because you're just contagious with these complaints, You constantly complain about the boss, and you're wondering why your employees don't even respect you. You're wondering why your children don't respect you. You keep complaining about everything, and it's contagious, and people start looking at you and looking at your family and thinking, those are negative people. I want to do something. We're going to have a little fun, okay? I need everybody to close their eyes. I promise nothing bad will happen to you. And I want you to think of that one person you hate. Got them? You want to avoid them, don't you? Now, your eyes are closed, think of that one person you love you can't wait to be with. All right, open your eyes. Isn't it different? You're like, there's that one person you're like, oh, I want to run from. But then there's that one person you can't wait to be with. Which one are you for everybody? Which one of those are you? Does somebody look at you and think, mm, nope, <laughs> I got to go the other way. Here they come. Give me something to do. You pull up your phone, and you're like, and then it starts ringing starts ringing. You're like, oh, they got me. Anybody, that ever happened to you? Come on, be honest. Don't lie in church. You know where liars go. Washington. All right? So, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We've been there. Put it on vibrate. It only works if you don't vibrate. Then they won't notice as much, okay? Then you just act like you have to retch or something, okay? But you know there's those people that as soon as you see them, you want to avoid them. Why? Because they have such a negative attitude, and it's contagious, and it brings people down. It brings your spirit down. But instead of that, I want you to start changing it. Just say, wait a minute, I'm not going to have that negative. I'm not going to give in to that. Because I believe that complaining, criticism, and ungratefulness are the language of the enemy. Think about it for a second. Was Satan ever positive? Was he ever grateful? Was he ever thankful that the creator of the universe made him the most beautiful creation? Was he, was he thankful that God made him this musical being? That God made him this amazing celestial being? Not once was he grateful. Matter of fact, his heart was lifted up in pride. His heart was lifted up that that, that he wasn't all that he wanted to be. He was ungrateful. He was complaining. And so when you give in to complaining, you're not speaking the language of of God. You're speaking the language of the enemy. And too often I meet Christians, and the first thing that comes out of our mouths is just the language of the enemy. Criticism, complaining. And we think it's funny sometimes, but it's really not. And we're going to get into why it's so powerful that we check this. Because we don't gain when we complain. But I want you to understand that not only are complaints contagious, but I believe that when we're filled with Christ, that also should be contagious. That as you fill yourself, as you flood your mind and your heart full of the love of God, as you let your mind meditate on thoughts of God, thoughts of goodness, thoughts of peace, thoughts of love, thoughts of joy, that you start spilling over. I believe that there should be something contagious about you. I hear people and I'll say, how are you doing? They'll, They'll say, I think I'm coming down with something. I wish that Christians would say, I think I'm coming down with something. I think I'm coming down with the love of Jesus. I think I'm coming down with joy. I think I'm coming down with peace. I think I'm coming down with happiness. I think I'm coming down with blessing. And it's going to spill over. If you hang around me, it's going to spill over. You're going to get happy. You're going to get joyful when you're around me. You're going to start feeling the love of God. You're going to start being happy about your situation because I'm contagious. It's flooding. It's overflowing. And instead of being contagious in a negative way, you're contagious in a good way because you say, I'm coming down with something. That if you're going to hang around me, guess what? We, we love God around here. Hey, we love church around here. We love the word of God around here. We love talking good about people around here. We love lifting each other up. Hey, we don't have time for any negative uh, negativity. We don't have time for any criticism. We don't have time to not be loving to one another because we are going to be lifting one another up. We're going to breathe life into them. I share with our growth group on Tuesday that uh, Apple store, you could do just about anything you want in Apple store. Anything you want. You say, what do you mean? There's a guy, his name was Mark, and uh, he wanted to do a test in the Apple store in Soho, New York. And he went down there and he said, I I see people dancing in an Apple store. I see people eating in an Apple store. He said, I want to see what would it take to be kicked out of an Apple store. So he went into an Apple store and he had a pizza delivered to him in an Apple store. And he ate the pizza right there. He said, I'll be on the second floor. Just find me wearing a green shirt. They brought him pizza. Apple employees thought it was great. He said, that's not enough. So the next time he came back in, he wore a full Darth Vader costume, came in with a broken iPhone, and uh, he just started playing Darth, you know, Star Wars in there, and they didn't do anything. They thought it was cool. They started taking pictures with him. He said, I, I got to step this up. got to step up my game. So he brought his wife in, hired a mariachi band, had a catered dinner delivered, had a disco ball hanging, and then the mariachi band played, they ate dinner, they danced, and nobody kicked them out. He said, I can't get them to kick me out of the store. He said, I know it'll do it. I'll bring a goat. I will bring my goat, my pet goat, in the store. They still didn't kick him out. Finally, he asked an employee. He said, what's the deal? I've been in here, and I'm trying to get you guys frustrated. I'm trying to upset. And they said, sir, you, you missed the whole point of the Apple store. We're not really here to make a sale. We're here to enrich your life. And if you have a mariachi band and dinner with your wife in an Apple store enriches your life, mission accomplished. I wish the church of Jesus Christ had that mindset. I wish our homes had that mindset. That we are here to enrich people's lives. That we were to breathe life into them. That some of us are so contagious with negativity, hateful, scornful, jacked up, messed up stuff. And I know you got issues. I know you got problems. I know people did wrong things to you. But for you to just go off and act like nobody else has issues, nobody else has problems, nobody else had a life that didn't work out as planned, is you're lying to yourself. Instead of understanding that, wait, I'm here to set the story straight. I'm here to enrich lives. I'm here to see so much more happening. Man, we got to run. I got so much stuff I got to give you. So, your heart needs to be full. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Write this down. Your lips will be speaking what your heart is leaking. Your lips will be speaking what your heart is leaking. So, if you're filling your heart full of the love of Jesus Christ, it's going to come off your lips. Some of you, I get around you, and man, five minutes, 49ers conversation. Nothing against 49ers. I get around you, four minutes, man, you're talking about golf. and Nothing wrong with golf. I get around some of you talking about your spouse. You love your spouse. What is on your heart comes out. You can't stop it. You cannot stop it. The word of God says it's going to come out. So what's on your heart is just going to kind of overflow. You love God, and you're passionate about God. You're excited about God. It's not going to stop. It's coming out. Whoever you're around, it doesn't matter if they're a Christian non-Christian. You're going to be praising Jesus because it's, you're so full. You're so flooded with him. It's contagious. It's just going to be coming out. The Bible even says this. It says, Give and shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give un, into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, wherewithal shall be measured to you again. But lastly, let me deal with this. Notice if you would, verse 15, we've got to wrap this up. we got to go. Apostle Paul says, verse 13, hey, God's working in you. Verse 14, don't complain, don't argue. But then in verse 15, he gives the reason why. Megan and Austin are in the why stage. I never thought I would hate a word as much as I hate why right now. Some of you other parents can feel me. Everything is a why. Why? Why? And they're not being they're not being disrespectful. They're not being naughty. They're trying to learn. Honestly, they're just at that stage. They're inquisitive. So everything is a why. I mean, it's embarrassing sometimes why they'll say certain things. Why? You know, and it's just we just we try not to make it too loud. I don't have time to tell you all the stories we've had to kind of catch ourselves in and everything. But um, Paul gives the why. Why should we stop complaining? Maybe that's where you're at. All right, man, I hear you. But why? Really? Come on. Yeah, it's good and all. Preach a good message, but, but why? Verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, as sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Apostle Paul said, Hey, hey, guys, we're to stand out around here, we're to be different. Hey, hey, young church of Philippi, you're surrounded by a Roman colony. They're not very Christian, they're pagan. They don't know what Christianity is. This is a brand new thing, guys. So if you're going to stand out, if you're going to be different, if you're going to make a difference, if you're going to be salt and light, you've got to stop arguing and complaining. Paul thought arguing and complaining were so detrimental that he began to write about it. He says, hey, here's the world. They're going to notice you. That when everybody else is fed up and sick and tired of what's going on at work, sick and tired of what's going on in their school, that you're just the one that's not just like, hey, Pollyanna, everything's all good, a uh, fakeness, but you're just, hey, I can still give God a praise. I can give God praise wherever I'm at. But for some of you, I think you have a price tag for your praise. I'd praise God if he fixed my car. I once was uh, out, old school days, I, I grew up Baptist, and uh, we used to knock on doors. Cold calling, scariest thing you ever done. You, you, I've, I've had naked people come to the door full-grown naked men, and I'm just like, I had a little flyer, and I'm like, hello, yeah, welcome, we want you to come to your church, it's just weird stuff will happen, please come to church clothed, we don't need any maniac or Gadara, And please be in your right mind, man, weird stuff, and, and and I walked up to this guy, and he said, I'll go to church, I'll go to church, but he had this condition, he was like, but you have to help me sell my motorcycle, I was like, how am I going to help you sell your motorcycle, I, I don't get it, I, I can't do that, I think some of us, we have a condition. God, I'll praise you. Fix my wife. I'll praise you. Fix my kids. I'll praise you. Hey, fix my situation, and I'll praise you. When did we ever get to that point where we feel like God has to do something for our praise, that God has to earn it? God, the Bible says, is worthy of all praise. Matter of fact, in this same passage, he said, Ever, one day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that God is the Lord. It's going to happen, and some of you, you don't understand. And when you're withholding your praise because you got this price tag where you said, God, I've been hurt too much. I got too much pain in my past. There's too much going on. And God is saying, well, the world is watching you. They need to see you have a praise. They need to see you in the midst of that trial right now. You give God a praise. They need to know that even in the midst of your struggle, that you're still going to praise God. Not that life is perfect, but you know that God is still good, that God is still working. The Bible says in the same passage, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Some of you are saying, I just don't feel like praising Him. And praising is not about a feeling, it's about a fact that God is worthy of our praise. You see, people are making assumptions about a God they cannot see because a child of God they can't see your coworker, your neighbor, the only thing they know about God is you. What they know about you may not be all that good. Maybe pretty negative, pretty discouraging, pretty messed up. Because all you talk about is your messed up past. Instead of talking about how God has redeemed you, changed you, saved you, sanctified you, working in you, blessing you, fixing your marriage, fixing your children, working on your situation, blessing, helping, guiding, leading, loving, never giving up on you. You never talk about that, do you? It's always about the negative stuff. Oh, I don't have enough money this month. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I have more month than I have money. I got and there's all kinds of things. I don't I don't know what the future's got. I'm so sick and tired of people putting on Facebook. Oh, what's happening in our world? I'm, I can tell you what's happening. Jesus is coming back soon. The world's jacked up. There you go. That's what's happening. Don't get upset. Don't get bothered by it. Don't get frustrated. And 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 don't forward me those long chain emails about everything that's going on in politics. God knew it was going to happen. God's got it in control. We don't need to be naive, but I don't need to worry about it. I give God a praise. I feel way better praising Jesus than I do complaining. Because we don't gain when we complain. We won't gain. And the world looks at us wanting to build bunkers in our backyard, hunker down, when Jesus said, that's not, that's not the way you ought to be living. I know things are bad. They've always been bad. But it's time you and I say, I'm going to give God a praise in spite of it. It's easy to praise God when you got a new car easy to praise God when you've got new, new threads and you are coming to church looking all nice. It's easy. It's easy to get up there. Shout to the Lord. I mean, it's easy to do it then. That's my real singing voice, by the way. That is no joke. That's a special. I hope you got that once in a lifetime. I'll be back next week. Some of you are just like, man, when things are good, that's when I'll praise Jesus. Anybody can do that. You don't even have to be saved to do that. The lost people, the heathens do that. Praise God you kidding me? We're the only Christians some people know, and we can't praise God. We can't give God thanks. We can't we can't tell the person next to us. I, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know God's got it in control. I'm not in control, but I don't have to be out of control because God's going to work. Because people are making assumptions about God, Christian, not based on a God they haven't seen, but based on a childhood God they have seen. There's a famous quote. Gandhi said it. I'm, I don't care too much for Gandhi. I know some people may love him. He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's what the world sometimes views of us. It's not their fault. I believe 100 people can make a dent, and make more than a dent, make a difference. If we would just say, hey, if my attitude has the power to change the atmosphere, I'm going to change it. You see, I think many of you, you come Sunday after Sunday, and you get all kinds of good information, but you're not letting that information turn into transformation. And so you hear a message on Sunday, you do jack squat with it on Monday. That's got to change. This message is not just for here. We'll never make a difference in San Jose, California. If we just take this message and we just kind of, oh, that was nice. and We only talk about it with our little holy sanctified believers. How about you go find somebody who's struggling right now and say, I know what you need. You just need some joy. I got a God who'll give you joy, give you peace, loves you. You feel like your life's messed up. You feel like you're worthless. You feel like nothing's going on. I, I got somebody, he, he wants you. He loves you. Let me tell you about him. He changed my life. Some of your employees they will they will bust a gut. They will they they will not know what happened to you. They'll be like, "Are you the same person that was in work last week?" Because something's changed. It's time we let that information transform us. It's time we don't just come to church. It's time we do something with it. I said to our growth group, "It's easy to preach a good message. It's a lot harder to live a good message." The world doesn't need a good sermon. It needs you. It needs you to go out there and say, hey, I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to bring some joy. Everybody else is frustrated, doesn't know what's going to happen. You're the light. You're the example. Lastly, we are known by our works before we are known by our words. We we like and we venerate the people of the past and their great quotes, and and we can quote them, and they're great. But before they were ever famous for their words, they were known by their works. I don't care what my children say about me, but I want them to remember that their dad loved them, cared for them. That's what I want them to remember. But that's going to take some work. I don't want them to just think, well, man, dad could preach a good message, but he sucked as a dad. God forbid that I turn into that. Get up here, act all good in front of you, and I can't spend five minutes with my son. Shame on me. And don't you ever put up with a preacher that does that. Don't you ever do that. And don't you be that. Don't you be that for your spouse. Come to church arm in arm, go home, never spend five minutes talking to her. We're guilty, church. We're guilty. And it's time that we say, yeah, I'm going to change. The world needs a change, the world needs something different. We can't do business as normal at this church. Uh uh-uh. uh. I told you, you ain't going to like this message. This one's going to hit us hard. Because business as usual is broke, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at this church, it doesn't work anywhere. We're not here just to draw a crowd. We're see, we're here to say, God, we need we need a change. We need something different to happen. So are we gonna be known by our works? Or are we just gonna keep playing the game and say, no, I just want to be known by our words? There was a beautiful wedding yesterday. I'll wrap up with this. Stanley's just celebrated, and their daughter Heather got married and congratulates them on the way out. It was just it was an awesome wedding. Many of you were there. And um it was beautiful to see Drew and Heather get married. And on my way out, I got to meet. Drew's brother-in-law, John. I didn't know John's story. I met John, and I could tell that there was something just not quite off. I wasn't being critical or anything. I just knew. I just wanted to talk to him. John, at eight years old, was in a horrific car accident. For six months, he was in a coma. The day before they were going to pull the plug and say, that's it, he woke up man is right but half of his body didn't work he Said it scared him to death he said i didn't know what's going on i'm eight years old eight years old what impressed me about john was not that he was just real but the fact of what he does now so what does he do he works with handicapped kids with disabilities to help them get their mobilities help them and work with them and he sees his disability as an opportunity he doesn't look at it, God, I have a price tag for praise. God, you fix my motor abilities. God, you fix this about me. No, no, no. It was, God's blessed me. I'm going I'm to return the favor. I'm going to return the blessing. I've been blessed to be a blessing. There was not one complaint in John's mouth. I cried at the wedding. I was about to cry again at the reception. I was impressed by this guy. I said, when are you writing your book? He says, everybody says I should do that. I said, yeah, I will help you write it. We need to get this message out there. Because you and I, some of you, you, you haven't been in a car accident, coma for six months. But you're all up in Facebook complaining about what? Oh, man, they didn't give me this. They didn't do this. Messed up my parents, my whatever. Instead of just saying, wait a minute, I'm so blessed. God has been so good. and I'm going to give God a